Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. I kind of begun a series a couple of weeks ago about origin stories. And as I've just been reading through the Old Testament and New Testament, there's some great heroes of the Bible that you read some of their great exploits and things that they did or, or she did. There's male and female heroes in the Bible. How many are glad there's male and female heroes in the Bible? And, uh, but sometimes you want to figure out how did they get there? Like how did they get to the place where they either exemplified this great faith or were able to do these great feats? And there are also people who maybe didn't end so well, if you know what I mean. They're, they're, they're more infamous than they are famous. They, they are in the Bible probably as an example of what not to do, more as an example of what to do. Origin stories. I, I think I drove by Scope this morning and that play Wicked is, is playing there. I think it's like the origin story of the two witches from the Wizard of Oz or something like that. And I was like, wow, origin, people really like origin stories. It has nothing to do with my message. I just thought that was interesting. Nobody else did, so I'll move on. He's talking about witches. Why is he talking about witches? I don't know either. So one of the origin stories that I want to share with you this morning is a guy named Saul. Saul from the Old Testament, not Saul from the New Testament. There's two Sauls. Don't get confused because I will actually talk about both of them in this message. But I'm more referring to the first Saul that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Okay? So I want to share with you why I think Saul probably had a pretty good start but ended up not so great. We'll get to that in a minute. But Akeem was talking about flying on an airplane. What's the most important part of flying on an airplane? I got it right. I said landing. Was that the answer? Do I get a prize? Man, I got it right. But he talked about air travel. And <laughs> I don't, how many of you have traveled since COVID has apparently, apparently COVID's over. The pandemic's done. Did you realize that? It's not the official stance of the White House anymore, but apparently it is over. It got announced. So how many of you traveled since then through AirFly? Okay. How many of you traveled during COVID? Anybody try that to fly an airplane? Man, you're some brave souls. That's, whew. Well, for me, I didn't, I didn't fly from uh, the beginning of it until they said you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And my first flight was actually an overseas flight. Paul and I went to Turkey to visit, sorry, Liam, my son Liam and I went to Turkey to visit Paul and see the work that we were doing there. And there's something that I learned on this flight. And that is the most important thing of air travel right now, I promise you, other than get there early, is carry on is everything. Do not check a bag on an airplane. Did you hear me? I don't care if you're leaving for a year. Do not check a bag on the airplane. When you get to the airport, if you go to baggage claim, you will see lots of bags, tons of bags that don't belong in that airport because they either got sent to the wrong place or something happened. Trust me, do not check a bag. This has led to a discussion in my household about if we ever go back to Australia, will we check a bag or not? Romy insists that she must check a bag on, but we have been a carry-on family all of our lives. All the family, each kid has their own carry-on bag. And somehow we've made it without checking on a bag. And I said, honey, I love you, but trust me, you don't want to do it. Carry-on only. So we'll we'll be checking one bag next time we fly overseas. (laughs) Because I love being happily married. 
The fact is, if you check on a bag, things are so bad right now, you'll probably never actually see that bag again. Carry-on is everything. So I've been shopping for carry-on bags. It's funny how you can justify a $600 carry-on luggage. And then, you know, Rumi's looking at my Amazon wish list, and she's like, no, that's going out. That's going out. And uh, TJ Maxx, that's where we're going to get our carry-on luggage. But not only is it difficult to get your bag there if you check it on, but then you've got excess baggage fees. There are unbelievable so if I want to fly to Australia and I want to bring a surfboard with me, because why would you not want to bring a surfboard to Australia? Do you know that in the airline that we fly, it costs $200 each way to send a surfboard to Australia? So if I go get a board bag, check on my board, they're going to charge me 200 bucks. probably isn't going to get there. If it is, probably going to be broken. And when I take it off, hopefully there's good surf and I have time to do it. But then I've got to put it back on an airplane, go through the same process, pay $200 again. So I have to pay $400. Do you know it's cheaper for me to leave my board here, go buy a surfboard in Australia, and then just leave it? Not even sell it, just leave it. I can get a $300 surfboard in Australia. I mean, how crazy is that? Why would you do that? It makes no sense. So travel right now is just nuts. I remember when, we, when Liam and I were flying back from, from, uh, from Turkey, I might have booked our connections a little bit short, like an hour, because um, it was the cheaper flight, and I'm cheap, so I'm like, I'm going to book this with a one-hour window, and sure enough, our departing flight did not leave on time, and so we missed our connection in Germany. No big deal, except you actually can't get a hold of anybody in the airlines now to change your flight, because I'm like, just, just send me anywhere. I don't care what country you send me through, I don't care, just... Can I get home today? How do I get, or at least how do I get in Europe tonight, and then we'll figure it out tomorrow. And they're like, everything's booked. Everything's gone. There's no way. And they're like, how flexible are you? I said, oh, that's a good question. We've only got carry-on. We can go anywhere you send us right now. Just send me to the gate, and we'll go. You don't have to go find my bags. I'm ready to go. And so we ended up not being able to get anything, so we just took our regular flight to Frankfurt, we landed in Frankfurt like an hour and a half past when we were supposed to take off for the next flight. So we're leisurely going through the airport. And we're like, well, where is the United desk? Where is the place where we can change our flight? Because we've got to still get on another flight. And they said, well, there's only one representative from United in this entire airport. And they're like one, the whole airport. And there's a major hub. And it's at this desk. So we're like, all right, we'll just kind of leisurely making our way through the airport. And as soon as we get to the gate, we realize they're still boarding the flight that we had missed. It was two hours late. So I look at the gate agent, and I'm like, wait a minute. That's the flight we're supposed to be on. But see, I had already figured out through the app that I could change my flight. So I changed my flight before we took off from Turkey so that when I landed, I was booked on the next day's flight. So that guy was going to have to change me every, everything back to that flight again as he was boarding. And so I, I come up to the agent, and I said, hey, we were originally on this flight, but I've changed it. Is there any way we can get on it? And he's like, no possible way. And I was like, okay, no worries. We're on tomorrow. And then he saw my reaction and went, I tell you what, let me finish boarding this flight, and we'll see what we can do. And so I was like, cool. So Liam and I just sat back, and next thing you know, all the other Americans from my flight who had 
hauled butt all the way to the gate, dragging these giant bags, and knowing they have all kinds of check bags as well, arrive, and the doors had just closed, and they went, that's our flight. You have to get us on. And he goes, do you have any check bags? Yes, but you're going to have to get them here too. You're going to have to hold the plane. And the guy's like, we're already late. I can't do it. Close the door and let's it go. And literally, this girl falls on the ground, sprawled out on her back and going, why are you doing this to me? Like, it was, it was comical, right? Like, on the floor. Do you know how dirty airport floors are? Why? Why? And Liam and I are like, well, if you had a lighter carry-on, you probably could have gotten here quicker. And then all the other people from this group, there was probably seven or eight of them, were just like, well, you're going to have to get me a hotel, and you're going to have to book me on the next flight, and you're going to have to figure out where my bags are, and then stormed off. And I just, here's Liam and I. And I said, we're not old like that. And he goes, I know. I said, look, I, I really appreciate you trying to get us on. We actually couldn't get on that flight. I said, I appreciate you trying to get us on. We're booked tomorrow. We're good. Thank you for making the effort. That was a heck of an effort. This guy was, like, amazing at what he was doing, just trying to get us on. And he just smiled, types it out, and hands us two business class tickets. <laughs> so then here's Liam and I flying back, and now he's business class. And I'm like, oh, son. Don't get bougie on me. Don't get used to this. This is not how it normally goes. Like he's raising up the divider between us so that he can have his own little privacy. He's ordering champagne. I'm like, hey, no, 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 no. He'll have sparkling water. Thank you very much. So much fun. But I realized the reason we were able to do that, one was our attitude, but the other was we just traveled light. We didn't have a whole lot of baggage to take with us so that we were able to make the adjustment and make the change as quickly as we needed to do to get to where we wanted to go. What was frustrating those other people was not just their entitled Americanness. Um, I'm American. I love Americans. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there's Americans and then there's those Americans. You know what I'm talking about? And so uh, it was not just their sense of entitlement, but was the sense that they had brought so much stuff with them that they just couldn't get to where they wanted to go, and it was keeping them from being flexible and mobile and being able to get someplace where they wanted to go because I can't go without all my stuff. If I don't have all my, i got to have my hair dryer. It doesn't work with their electrical system. I don't care. We'll figure it out. Got to have my hair dryer. Got to have 20 changes of clothes everywhere I go. And so I want you to change everything you do because I've got all this baggage that I want to take with me. But it doesn't work that way. I don't get to determine what the airline does. I've got to make sure that I am doing what I need to do to be as flexible as I possibly can. Why does this have to do with this guy named Saul? Saul. You see, there was a time when Israel was being led by a prophet. His name was Samuel. Probably the best example of God's intention for the nation of Israel was that he would be their king, and then Samuel as the prophet was actually interceding between God and the people and between the people and God and was leading the people as God's intended leader of the nation. But it wasn't good enough. They said, we don't want Samuel anymore, or at least not his sons. We want a king. 
We want a king because we want to be just like everybody else around us. We want to be like all of these other nations. And so God said, great, I'll give you a king, but it's not going to be what you think it is. And so they end up with this man, Saul. Now God chooses Saul as the king of Israel. Okay? He is God's chosen man. Saul gets several confirmations that he is to be chosen by God. He gets anointed twice by Samuel and then once by the people. There's these set of circumstances where, like, he loses his donkeys and then Samuel tells him where the donkeys are. They miraculously come back. And all these, you know, this is Old Testament, by the way, looking for signs to confirm the Word of God. We don't need signs to confirm the Word of God. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit that will guide us into all truth. So stop looking for sign after sign after sign. Stop looking for God's confirmation through other people. Listen to the flow of the Holy Spirit coming from you. All those things can be good, but primarily we discern the will of God by the Word and by the Spirit. But at this point in time, the Spirit was not indwelling yet in every believer. And so there were all kinds of signs that God lays up for Saul to say, not only have I chosen you, but I want you to see miraculously all these ways that I'm showing you that I've chosen you. You follow me? We won't go into each one of them, but just to know that's what happened. Not only that, Samuel anoints him, and Saul does get filled with the Holy Spirit. And he starts prophesying. He was not a prophet. He was not on the Samuel level. But when God filled him with his Holy Spirit, he starts prophesying and goes around all the prophets prophesying along with them. And the people are like, who's this guy? Who's the new guy? That's just all of a sudden filled with the Spirit and prophesying. What an amazing time for Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9, it says, As Saul turned to leave Samuel, this is after Samuel anointed him, God changed Saul's heart. He changed his heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servants arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined them in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? It's funny how people always try to relate back to what you used to be. Who is this? the son of Kish. Who is this person? The carpenter. Who is this person? The truck driver, the policeman, the, the whatever it is. Who is it? Why, what, are the, what right do they have being filled with the Spirit of God and power? That's for the ordained people. That's for the, the people that have graduated from Bible college. Who do you think you are? Is Saul also among the prophets? After Samuel anoints Saul, this is what happens. Now, I tell you, if that happened to me, or if it happened to you, I think I'd probably want to let people know. Maybe too much. But if I get filled with the Holy Spirit and start prophesying, it's going on Instagram. Trust me, someone's going to know something good has happened to me. God has done something good for me. God is flowing through me. I might even birth a new ministry out of that and start Clayton Ritter Intergalactic Ministries filled with the Holy Spirit. Who knows? But somebody's going to know that God did something in me. But Saul goes back to his family, and when he gets asked by his family, what did Samuel say to you? Can you believe it? Saul made absolutely no mention of any of this. All Saul told his family when they said, what happened when Samuel talked to you was, oh, he told me where the sheep were. 
because his family had tasked Saul with going to find some sheep. So in his mind, all my family cares about is whether I did the thing that they needed rather than did I have an encounter with God, got filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to prophesy something nobody in our family had ever done. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it was the fact that no one in his family had ever done anything like this that kept Saul from saying, you're not going to believe what God just did with me because I'm just the son of Kish. No one's going to understand that somebody like me could be something like that. Forget about the king stuff. I'm not even going to tell them that I got filled with the Holy Spirit because nobody in my family has ever done that before. So who do I think I am? I think perhaps Paul, Saul, was too afraid of what others would think of him. And what we see is a setup for Paul, something that would rule him for the rest of his life, and it's a fear of man. The challenge with Saul is that he feared man more than he feared God. What are others going to think of me if I tell them what God has done for me? And this would dominate his personality. This would dominate his life, even throughout his kingship. But I get it. I can understand why Saul's like that because I'm actually, I think I'm a lot like Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, it says, Kish had a, had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. I get it. I get it. You know what I mean, Ryan? We understand, right? I mean, when you got the goods, I understand, Saul. It's hard when you're the best-looking guy in the room. That's not what I mean. I'm just kidding. It's the second half of this that I can relate to. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Can I tell you, being tall can be hard sometimes, all right? All you short people, I know you're like, yeah, whatever, tell me about it. Look, we've got problems too. Being tall is not always that easy. Are you with me, Lilia? Come on. I mean, Liam, help me out here. Being tall has its advantages, but sometimes it's not so great. Do you know how many times I get asked, how's the weather up there? <laughs> like you're the first person to ever ask me that. Or even just the kinder, how tall are you? I don't know. How much do you weigh? <laughs> People always wanting to take photos with you. They're not going to believe this. Would you take my photo? It gets annoying after a while. Look, after years of it, you just, get, you just put up with it, and you're like, okay. But when you're a head taller than everybody else, you, you stand out. You stand out in a crowd. And that's not always nice. You know, there's this syndrome, they have it in Australia, but it's, it's in every country. They just put a great name to it. It's called tall poppy syndrome, which means that the poppy, like in a poppy field, sometimes when a poppy grows up above the others, it gets lopped off. And so this tall poppy syndrome is like anybody that seeks to rise above other people, everyone else will cut them down. We call it the crab in the pot syndrome. You know, when one crab tries to crawl out of the pot, the others pull it back in. Same thing but it's called tall poppy syndrome. There's something about being tall that makes other people sometimes want to pull you down. Or at least it can create the impression in you that you are different to everyone else and you stick out. 
No one likes to stick out. If they do like to stick out, there's probably a psychological problem there. But no one really likes to stick out. There's something about human nature that just wants to blend in. I mean, I grew up playing basketball. And when I remember in prep school, I had these two teammates that were, one was 7'1 and one was 7'2". And so I was not the tallest. And I don't know why, but we drove a 15-passenger van like the Schultzes did. We brought a whole team of 12 players and two coaches and a 15-passenger van to, like, New Hampshire, right? We would drive everywhere. And where does Clayton sit? Well, somewhere along the line, someone determined that it would be good to put the biggest guys in the front of the bus. And so here I am, 7-2 on one side, 7-1 on the other, and me in the middle because I was going to get the leg room. I was going to get that. I was a little greedy, but I did get the leg room. But I remember this one guy, his name is Jimmy. He was seven foot two. Now, Jimmy grew up where he was always head and shoulders above everybody else. But when Jimmy walked around, he always walked like this. Like he looked like an old man. He didn't have any back problems, but I realized that Jimmy was constantly bending over so that he would be at a normal height with everyone else. He was too afraid to stand up straight and be himself. I remember as a young person, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was in church, and I just, as a kid, I never raised my hands in worship, but when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I just, this overwhelming compulsion, I didn't know why, I just wanted to surrender all to God, but I was fighting this thing in me because I was terrified, I was already so tall, I thought if I lift my hands in worship, it's going to be such a glaring thing that everyone's going to see, everyone's going to be looking at me, and it's going to be really weird, so I'll just worship, you know, the halfway hand raise, but yet there's still something in me that was like, no, I, like, I actually want to go dance, but I can't dance at all. I, I, I want to like, just express with all of my body my, my love and devotion and my full surrender to Jesus. And so I remember I finally got up the nerves to get like here. I'm like, okay, it's a little awkward. It doesn't really look like worship. And then finally, I just kind of crept up. I know it sounds silly. I know it sounds silly. But I was terrified to lift my hands because I was so big. I thought everyone would be looking at me. And finally, I got my hands all the way up. And I peeked. And I thought for sure the whole church was going to be like. And you know what I noticed as I opened my eyes? No one cared. No one was looking at me. I wanted to go, hey, I'm huge, come on, this is embarrassing, everyone look at me. Because they were all worshiping too, and I went, boy, how silly, you don't realize how silly things are until you get the breakthrough. And then you look back and go, how was I afraid of that? Trust me, when they saw Goliath's headless body on the ground, I promise you they went up and thought, how was I afraid of that? How did this affect Saul? Well, look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 22. Saul's been anointed by Samuel, anointed by God. He had all these confirmations. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's been filled prophesying. And so God says, Samuel, I wanted you to put the entire nation in front of me, all the tribes of Israel, and I'm going to select Saul again out of the crowd to show everybody else I have anointed this guy to be the next king of Israel. I don't just want to tell him in private. I want to 
make it known in public, this is your king. This is the one I have selected. Because if anyone else rises up without my anointing on them, they will be a thorn in your side, and it won't be for me. So I want to make sure that people know this is my choice. And so he goes looking for Saul. He pulls tribe after tribe after tribe out. And they finally get to the tribe of Benjamin. But Saul says, so they inquired of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Saul, this is your moment to shine. You've experienced the presence of God. You've seen his power. You've gotten the anointing. You've seen God face to face. Why are you hiding in your baggage? So I'm going to take a little bit of liberty with this word baggage. Because this is literally referring to all the stuff they have to carry off to war. But Saul had some baggage. Maybe it was because he was a head taller than everyone else. Maybe it was because no one in his family had ever done the things that he was called on to do. Maybe it was the, the insecurity he had in himself that he had never surrendered to God and let him deal with and heal so that he could become all that God had for him. Whatever it was, Saul had some baggage. And obviously, it was his fear of man. Listen, all of us have baggage. All of us have things that we bring into this relationship with Jesus. All of us have stuff. But stop hiding in your baggage. You can't keep hiding in your past sin. You can't keep hiding when your old self in sexual sin and divorce. You can't hide in the baggage of unanswered prayer. You can't hide in the baggage of the unmet expectations of God. God, but I thought by now, I thought by now, you can't hide in that. You can't hide in the baggage of identity. And you can't hide in the baggage of, I can't be alone. Do you know that baggage of people, I can't be alone, causes more unhealthy relationships to happen. Not because this person is for me, but it's because I can't be alone. And the thought of being alone is baggage that I have brought in to this new relationship. And it's unhealthy. It's hiding in the baggage. Saul's baggage not only affected him, it infected the entire nation. Paul's inability to lay his baggage aside, to let it go, to leave it at home, meant the whole nation carried that into their own spirit. And we see that at a time when one guy, I don't care if he's nine feet tall or 30 feet tall, he's standing in front of the people, mocking the people of God, mocking God. And what are they doing? They're in a ditch hiding in their baggage because their king couldn't deal with his baggage. And I am determined that my kids will not hide in my baggage. There's baggage that I've got to leave behind, that I've got to say, I'm leaving this at the foot of the cross because my kids will have their own battles to fight. I don't want to leave them to fight my battles too. And so my hope and my prayer is that you get free. You get free of whatever it is that you've carried into this relationship with Jesus. That you let the baggage go. Look, I know sometimes you need help with that. Sometimes there's actually, you have to be delivered from your check-in luggage. You know what I mean? You have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers. I, I'm taking my checked bag. 
Some people go, this baggage that I have, it's kept me warm at night. This baggage that I have, it's familiar to me. I don't know how to live without it. Look, when you decide to go full carry-on, I'm back to the airplane thing, it's a little scary because you're like, what if I'm going to need it? Here's what I encourage you to do. Go back over your last three trips and take note of the things you actually used. You'll be surprised at what you don't need. Or better yet, take a backpack. Then you'll really be surprised at what you don't need. Anybody done any hiking like in the Appalachian Trail? Oh, my gosh. After that first trip, you're like, I don't need this. I don't need that. Do you know that hikers throw deodorant away? It's extra weight. So hikers are just used to each other smelling. Pretty soon you realize it's okay to smell. That's a little too far for me. I'm just saying get rid of the baggage. If you need help getting rid of the baggage, there are people who can help. But get rid of it. There are things that don't belong attached to your new nature as a believer in Jesus. There's ways of doing things that you used to do that the Holy Spirit is going to go, you don't have to do that anymore. And if you keep doing it, not only is it going to affect you, it's going to affect your kids and your grandkids because they're going to pick up the spirit with which you operate. But you are not of that spirit. You are born again. You are a new creation, new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. The new has come. The new has come. Lay down your baggage. Stop taking it with you. Let me give you a New Testament example. In Luke chapter 10, it tells a story of Jesus visiting this house. There's three people who live there, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. Can you hear the loving tone in that? I hope you can. It's not Martha, Martha. It's Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can I tell you that Mary was not upset because she didn't have enough help? Jesus said she was upset about many things. You ever notice that sometimes the thing that you are upset about, it's not really the thing that you're upset about? Martha was upset. Because Mary had put herself at the feet of the Master. Do you know who sits at the feet of the Master? Not servants. Disciples. She was putting herself in the position of a disciple. But she's neglecting her work. Nope. She realized that there's only one thing that's needed. And that's to put yourself at the feet of the master as a disciple. Now, why was she upset by that? Because you understand, when you're a disciple in that culture, the disciple eventually becomes the rabbi. 
they become the teacher. So when you position yourself as a disciple, you are also positioning yourself to eventually do what the rabbi does. Because discipleship in the Hebrew context, in the Jewish context, and in our context, is not watching what the master does. It's doing what the master does. That's why Jesus said, in my name, you will drive out sermon. The, uh, in my name, you will drive out demons. You will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. Mark chapter 12. To be a disciple means you do what the master does. And no woman ever becomes a rabbi. No woman does the stuff. She serves the ones who do the stuff. We still have this mentality in church. I don't do the stuff. I'm just here to serve the people who do the stuff. That is a non-biblical idea of what discipleship looks like. Jesus drew no distinction between men and women when it came to doing the work of the ministry in church leadership roles. He drew no distinction and had no limitation on what women could and could not do. And this was a prime example of it. Martha is upset because Mary is saying, I am worthy of being a disciple, and I will sit at the master's feet because this is what's most important right now. And it located everything in Martha that said, I don't see myself that way. Who do you think you are to see yourself that way? Jesus, would you correct her? And Jesus goes, no, she's right. And you have an invitation to the same level of intimacy that she's experiencing right now. Because the reality is we can get caught up with so many details of preparation. It's a tempting as a pastor. It really is. Trust me. I can look around and think, we need better, better coffee. Coffee's great. It's just an example. We need better coffee. We need better facilities. We need... We need smoke machines. We need better this. We need better that. I, I need a golf cart. I need, I need all these things. And yet there's only one thing. Jesus, did you show up? And did we do what you said? All those things are great. But if I'm so worried about the preparations of the service, I'll miss what it takes to get prepared for the presence. <laughs> have, I, have I this week... Have I been in the presence? Have I spent time with them? Am I familiar with the presence? Would I even know if God left the room? Or would I be quite happy that everybody else seems to be connecting with each other and having a good time? Would I be happy if this church doubled every week but the presence diminished every week? Because that's a Martha spirit. That's a Saul spirit that wants to keep the people happy instead of keeping the presence the most important thing in the room. I don't want to carry my baggage of what I think church is supposed to look like and what I think will bring more people in because I know what really brings people in is the presence and power of God. And if He's not here, nothing else we do matters. He is here, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. He is here. But for Martha, everything had to be just right. Saul's baggage affected the whole nation. 1 Samuel 17, I already said it, we see him hiding in the ditch when Goliath is taunting him. But there's one who was different. This one little boy, he shows up, and he's like, what are y'all doing in a ditch? 
that guy is coming against the armies of the living God. What in the world are you doing here? Are you crazy? The fact is, David himself was of a different spirit. And where did that come from? Now you think about the baggage that David had. When his father was lining up all of the next potential kings of Israel, which were Jesse's sons, David's brothers, David's not even in the mix. David is left looking after the sheep while his dad is lining up his brothers to be the next king. Talk about some rejection. I'm not even an option here. That's some baggage. Dad doesn't even think that I'm worthy to be the next king of Israel. That's some baggage. He's carrying around his father and his brother's perceptions of him, but he doesn't let it limit him. And even when he shows up on the battle in 1 Samuel 17, 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Nothing could have been further from the truth, but boy, does the enemy love to use your family to communicate to you what he thinks you should be, or your friends, or somebody else. And yet, David is of a different spirit. Those hiding in their own baggage tried to get David to hide in his baggage. What did they bring up? Where are the sheep? Hey, sheep are my bags. They're back on the field, buddy. That's my baggage, and I didn't bring my baggage here to the battle line. I left the sheep because that's what my father thinks I am, and I honored my father. I didn't leave the sheep and, and forsake my job. I honored my father and my mother. I didn't consider it a badge of honor to disobey my father. I didn't consider the persecution by my father some sort of ritual, and I wear it as pride of, look at me, I got rejected by my mother and father. It hurt me. It wounded me, but I won't let it limit me. And when I show up to battle, I'm trying to figure out why you guys are here. And all I got with me is a sling and five stones. That's not a whole lot of baggage, but I tell you, the best carry-on he could have had was a sling. And he goes out and he defeats the giant and cuts off his head. Because David was of a different spirit. Had he not learned to let go of his baggage, not to let others, how others viewed him, keep him from all that God had for him. And only David killed Goliath. But the tragedy of this story is any one of them could have killed Goliath too. Any of them. If they had just chose to rise up and go, there's more in me than just what I got. Any one of them could have done it. David didn't kill Goliath because he was good with a slingshot. David killed Goliath because he wasn't hiding in his baggage. Slingshot just happened to be what he had with him. What are you going to let go of this morning? What are you going to stop carrying around from your past? When are you going to let go of a way of behaving and a way of treating people that has, you think it's served you in the past, but all it's done is to burn relationship after relationship after relationship? When are you going to learn to let go of that and let God heal the thing in you that's causing the behavior. 2 Corinthians 4.10, as we close, says we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. I carry around as my carry-on the death of Jesus. Because the death of Jesus also represents the death of my sin. It means my old self is gone. So I carry around his death so that his life can also come with me. So that when people try to remind me of all of my baggage that I'm supposed to have, nope, just his death. That's it, just his death. That died. That died with him. Well, don't you remember how you used to do that? Nope, that died with me, with Jesus. And all I carry around now is his death so that I may also carry his life. What have I been hiding? What have I been hiding behind? Revelation chapter 1, 5 and 6 says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Saul was called to be king. We're called to be kings and priests and a kingdom of priests. For us to become that, it's going to need to lay aside anything that would hinder us. Would you pray with me? And I just want you to ask the Lord, God, is there any baggage that I've been hiding behind? Are there anything that I've been carrying with me that needs to be left behind? And just pay attention to the flow. What is He revealed? What is He showing? And would you surrender that thing to Him? If it's a certain behavior, just tell Him, God, I repent of that thing. If it's trauma from the past, would you offer it to Him for healing? And Father, I thank You that You don't leave us empty. But come fill every heart here this morning with Your love, with Your power, and with a sound mind. Because that is the spirit that you have given us, of power and of love and of a sound mind. In Jesus' name. You know, sometimes I said, you might be carrying things that, sometimes you just need help carrying. They're not bad things, but you're carrying too much. So, like, like, when it comes to all of church, I can't carry all of church. I've got big shoulders. They're not that big. So I can get Emily to help me carry the worship team. But she can't carry my sense of perfectionism, my over sense of perfectionism. So I can say, hey, Emily, can you, can you help carry the, can you lead our worship team? But if I'm coming to her saying, this isn't right, and that's not right, and you got to fix this, and you got to fix that. She can't carry a spirit of perfectionism because that's not what she's meant to carry. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I leave the baggage of perfectionism behind, but I take the weight of the ministry, and she helps to carry that and does it quite beautifully. I remember for me as a teenager, I had really bad cystic acne, particularly on my back. And I knew for me, 
I thought, can any woman ever be attracted to me? It was crippling for me as a teenager. And it hindered every relationship that I was in, or lack of one, because I thought, oh, as soon as she sees me, she's going to reject me. And I lived with that until God healed me of it when I was 19 years old. Not healed me of the condition, but healed me of the thing that had affected my spirit. And I left that baggage behind. But you know that sometimes I have this thing that will creep up in me. That sometimes something between Romy and I, she may say something or do something, and I feel this rejection rising up in me. And I react as if I'm still carrying the baggage of rejection from my teenage years. And I respond to her, not because she said something wrong, but I'm responding her out of a bag that I just picked up again. And I started to carry that baggage of rejection once again, and now it's affected this. And I can just let the Holy Spirit go, hey, you picked up that bag again. Would you go put it down? Would you stop hiding in the baggage? Would you stop having communication with your wife through that spirit of rejection that I've already healed. It doesn't mean I need healing again. It can. It just means my thinking went back to who I used to be for a second. And the Holy Spirit can arrest that thought and go, no, put that down. Oh, God, thank you. I put it down. Thank you, Lord. She loves me. She's attracted to me. And I thank you that I don't have to put that weight on her. Hey, Romy, you have to tell me every day how good I look. How, how, do you understand that's a monster that just never gets fed enough? But when you put the bag down, now I can love her the way she needs to be loved instead of making her carry a weight that she's not. It's too heavy for me. Why would I give it to her to carry? So do you understand when you lay the baggage beside, behind, it frees you to love others the way they need to be loved? Everyone's got baggage. Just learn to leave it behind and stop hiding in it. And you'll be amazed at how every relationship with God and every relationship with each other will increase in intimacy beyond what you thought was possible. You may have thought that the level of intimacy that I can have with others is, is here, but when you start to lay the baggage behind, you'll experience intimacy that's like, I didn't know this even existed we're called to go deep with each other and with him. I want you to develop intimacy at a deeper level than you have. I want it for me. And sometimes it just means leave the baggage behind. Amen? Amen. We love you guys. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.